millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that considers the cornucopia of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm almost at double digits. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Almost a double digits, Jake. I know it's been uh, it's been such a lovely journey so far, and I'm I'm actually a bit sad. I'm, I realised I'm very soon going to hit the halfway point, and then there's only going to be less than what I've already seen. Exactly, but you've not seen a film about a flying pig yet, have you? Well, not until this week. So this week's film is Porco Rosso, directed by Hayao Miyazaki from the early nineties. Uh, shall we crack on with this one, Jake? Let's do it. I cannot wait. So in Porco Rosso, our hero is a pilot for hire, fighting air pirates in the Adriatic Sea in the 1920s. Formerly a flying ace for the Italian Air Force in the First World War, the Crimson Pig is literally that, turned into an anthropomorphic pig by a mysterious curse. His reputation looms large, but the sea pirates have enlisted an American pilot to finally bring Porco down. But with the help of a young mechanic called Theo, our Porco lives to fly another day. So in our previous episode, we talked about Pom Poco, and I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the film that came just before it, which is Porco Rosso. Yes, Jake. So this comes out in 1992, and Hei Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli are quite comfortably in their creative groove at this point. Miyazaki's last feature was Kiki's Delivery Service in 1989, which was the movie that made Ghibli solvent, made a lot of money. Um, and then Porco Rosso had a bit of a, an odd journey to the big screen, in her book on Hei Miyazaki, Helen McCarthy uh, recounts that he uh, first had the plans to make a film about a pig in the 1980s, at the same time as he was making Castle in the Sky. Um, there was talk about it being a straight-to-video short, uh, directed by someone else because he couldn't figure out how to have two films on the go at once, but there were creative differences with this 
unnamed director, and the project was shelved. But then flash forward to 1990, and Hei Miyazaki, back when he was still doing manga, uh, contributed a short story to Model Graphics magazine, uh, which was about a pig aviator set in the interwar period. And that's where sort of the, sort of the, the themes of Porco Rosso come into play. But then... After this, a very unlikely production proposal comes into play. Uh, Japan Airlines uh, contracts Miyazaki to make a short in-flight movie, 45 minutes long. And that's where he thought, oh yeah, Porco Rosso might be good for that. Um, In April 1991, Miyazaki issues one of his amazing directorial memoranda. And here are some quotes from it. Porco Rosso is designed to be a work that businessmen exhausted from international flights can enjoy, even if their minds have been dulled from lack of oxygen. It must also be a work that boys and girls can enjoy. Porco Rosso is fun and unbeat, but not an over-the-top party. It is dynamic, but not destructive. It abounds with love, but needs no lust. And Miyazaki's aim was to create a town that people would like to visit, a sky through which people would like to fly, a secret hideaway we ourselves would want, and a worry-free, stirring, uplifting world. I can't believe how nice he's being. This is happy. This <laughs> yeah, is happy period Miyazaki, well. you know, that much I'm younger man after the likes of House Moving yeah. Castle, etc. So, however, we'll we'll get to this. <laughs> Porco Rosso was actually a first for Ghibli. Um I wonder if this will surprise you, Jake, because it was the first movie Miyazaki had made without a script and storyboards in place first. So for so the this likes is a of jazz film, <laughs> jazz film. So for the likes of um, Kiki's Delivery Service, he would have a script, he would have storyboards. But Toshio Suzuki in his memoirs says uh, they were behind schedule, and we knew the general story, so it was decided to begin with key animation first. We told ourselves we can do the storyboards somewhere down the line. So this technique of putting the cart before the horse became a key part of the Ghibli method afterwards for Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, House Moving Castle, these films that maybe we say get a bit, yeah. you know, the, the plot runs away from them. Mm. But then eventually, so over the course of production, they decide to put the cart before the horse and this 45 minutes short balloons into an epic 90 minutes, uh, longer than, uh, than anticipated and much longer than the in-flight movie pitch wanted, wanted to be. So it becomes a feature-length movie, taking on themes that Miyazaki draws from the world around him. So you talk about how he seemed all upbeat and happy. Then circa 1990, 1991, um, the unrest and conflict in Yugoslavia happens, which is very close to the location of the Adriatic Sea that he's looking at. So serious themes come into play. Um, And uh, so once again, he brings in bigger political concerns into what on the face of it should have been a light and fun film. Um, we'll get to the actual tapestry of the film in a minute, but when it was released in July 1992, it became the highest grossing film of the year in Japan. You know, full stop, beating the likes of international productions like... Now, this is the top five English language films at the Japanese box office this year, giving you a taste of uh, the Japanese tastes for okay, English language I'm films. Excited. So we'll go in fifth position. Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Number four, JFK, Oliver Stone. <laughs> Number three, Basic Instinct. Brilliant. Number two, Alien 3. And number one, the all-time 1992 classic, Steven Spielberg's Hook. Is the number one film behind Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. For many years, this was a huge runaway success, and for many years it was the highest-grossing animated film at the Japanese box office um, you know, in history. That was up until the late 90s when films like Princess Mononoke, Pokemon, and then beyond were grossing you know, incredible amounts, but Porco Rosso was the gold standard for many years. Wow. Um, but it wasn't really 
but like it didn't have that international scale of the other ones. It was just like cemented in Japan. This was mm-hmm. just huge there. I think it, it had because of the link with Japan Airlines. There was a version that was playing in English that you could watch if you were yeah. flying to Japan in flight movie versions. But it wasn't one of those ones that did make it over here yeah. um, in the way that Totoro did. Considering how European it is, uh, it's surprising that it didn't really travel. I mean, it might be a different. You know, it might be a different matter in France and Italy, mm. cultures that have much more of a, an exchange with Japanese animation, but certainly in the English language world, it wasn't until the late 90s, 2000s, when all these films started trickling out. There's a great dub for this, actually, with Kerry Elwes from The Princess Bride and Michael Keaton, etc. in it. Right. Well, I mean, box office numbers are important, and obviously making money is like the highest priority, but I think arguably more important than any of that is trying to figure out what I thought of this film. Let's find out, Jay. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Jake, you did say earlier you knew that this film had an air of Indiana Jones to it. You had some expectation of what the tone might be. Did mm. it stand up to your expectation? Okay. Well, I'm going to pick a different film here, Michael. You remember that bit in Only Yesterday, where the camera zooms in on the lead character's face and the background disappears and her eyes widen and her cheeks go red because she's so in awe of what she's experiencing. That was me throughout Porco Rosso. <laughs> really? Oh, Wow. Okay, right I, from the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah. I love this film. Uh, and Yeah, right from the beginning. Uh, as, as you know, but maybe the listeners don't, I'm really into my opening titles and title cards and fonts and things like that. And even the, the titles of Porcaras are a joy. You've got that opening curiosity of uh, Japan Airlines being featured at the start, which me not knowing the history immediately had me, immediately had me hooked. I've mm. got to know more about that. But then... Uh, the setup of the story, these amazing ticker tape uh, 
titles that mm. cover the screen uh, all in different languages. I think English is like fourth down on there. Um, and then they're coming left to right, and then the Japanese is coming right to left. It's great, isn't uh, it? It's like a telegram. It's so good. <laughs> and it really has that that feeling of uh, like a like post-war romance where mm. everything is everything is on the wire, everything's news, yeah. and you've got to get it immediately straight into you. And that's what it does with the opening five minutes. We're right into a massive... Uh, uh, like escape mission, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Porco's got to save these girls that have been abducted from other air pirates. It's pretty relentless, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. The, like, what ten minutes is that opening mm-hmm. um, where he saves the girls? Yeah, and it's so good. Uh, I I really loved this film a lot. Really very feels, quickly, <laughs> it really feels like a you know both Indiana Jones and James Bond, the series that inspired Indiana Jones, has this like opening mission, right? Mm. The opening sequence, and this one has that great ten minutes where you know you hear that the Porco Rosso is going to go out and save these girls. But it's definitely a Miyazaki depiction of that, right? Yeah. The idea that these air pirates, even though they're pirates, even though they're bad, they're sort of bumbling idiots. Yes. And the girls, even though they're hostages, they, they're these strong-willed little kids who yeah. are like, are you really pirates? Are you going to kidnap us? Yay, we're being kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think um, the, the, the villains... Uh, maybe feel a bit more in that in the Tintin vein as well, right. rather than a James Bond mm-hmm. uh, taking over the world or a Indiana Jones Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit sillier than that. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, if your lead character is a pig who flies planes, you've got to make it a bit less serious than Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's it's really brilliant. I think Tintin was the real touchstone for it's me. It's one for of those this. films that we have this with many Miyazaki movies where he's drawing in so many influences and maybe intentionally, maybe not, and it's, we're bringing the influences ourselves to the mm. table. But this is a film that you say Indiana Jones, you say Tintin, the, the sort of the um, the international capering of it all, the, the period. Um, it reminds me of Only Angels Have Wings, the golden age of Hollywood movie with Cary Grant uh, as, as, as an aviator, very much in that same vein. It reminds me, weirdly, this is clearly not on Miyazaki's mind, but there's a very strange Disney animated TV series called Tailspin from the early 90s, which came out a couple of years before, or maybe around the same time, actually, as Porco Rosso, which is technically a spin-off slash sequel to The Jungle Book, where it imagines if What If Baloo then became an air freight pilot in the interwar period, and it's really quite something. Right. um, But it has this sense of anthropomorphic animals in planes and a, a sense of adventure and daring do mm. in a similar period in similar location. Not that that was on Miyazaki's mind at all, but it does have have the sense of fun, low-stakes fun, yeah. would you say? More traditionally yeah. child-oriented themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's a lot of teamwork going on here and um, like being quite well-mannered and having mutual respect. Mm-hmm. And it's quite simple. And I, I really liked that. Um, I I wouldn't show all of the films that we've watched to a young child. They like because I think something like maybe Mononoke might get lost mm. uh, if you're watching it too young or something. But to me, Porco Rosso has so much that makes it accessible, and yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of important, uh, simple ideas going on there. But it's beautiful to look at as well, and it's the animation's really engaging. It's really fun. I, I just thought it was a, a complete treat. And I know that flying is a really important thing for Miyazaki. Yeah. And it's this is, for me, the first time I've encountered it. And I know it's something we're going to explore down the line. Well, but you could feel the romance that he's got yeah. for it. 
Well, this is this is interesting because it's one of probably the key components of Miyazaki's interest, or his character, his base of inspirations. You know, he named Ghibli after. Uh, what could be either the, the the winds that blow across the Mediterranean or a type of plane, uh, an Italian plane of, of this period. Uh, so he clearly loves planes, and you've seen some elements of that. He loves flying sequences in House Weaving Castle and Spirited Away. We've seen that, um, and even in Totoro, there's the bit where they where they they bounce up over the uh, over the treetops. But this is probably the first film in you know what we'll see is a, a sequence of films that is about air flight. Mm. And the joy and the freedom of it all, but specifically a period of time where flight was um, unburdened from ideology and politics and uh, the the military-industrial complex, for example. And so that's why this is the film where you get long sequences of <laughs> talking about engines and the actual hands-on making and rebuilding of planes. You'll have shots of very, very um, uh, detailed plane parts, etc., as well yeah. as incredible scenes of air flight. Yeah. Um, there's the, a section after Porco's plane crashes earlier in the film. Um, we visit a workshop where he's getting it repaired, and uh, he's not sure whether he's going to go through with it or not, and then he eventually commits to letting this workshop repair and rebuild his plane. And so begins this brilliant sequence of rebuilding the plane, and it's so satisfying to watch. Um and there's something about just seeing mechanical parts being put together and people who are part of that process doing that job all working towards the completion of one object. Mm. And it reminded me of uh, The Post, the Spielberg film, right. where they are writing this um, Vietnam War story. Uh, the journalists get together and that that happens uh, on typewriters or whatever. Um but the bit that I really loved is when the actual newspaper itself is being built, when the typesets are being made and it's going to the printing press and those you have those great moments in any investigative journalist mm. film where you see the print coming off the rollers. Um, but actually just seeing the letters being lined up and seeing this process from beginning to end is so satisfying. So when that newspaper finally drops on the sidewalk, you can see, even though it's just maybe a small thing, how much process has gone into that. Mm -hmm. And so when you see this final plane, it's glorious, it's brilliant, um, because of the brilliant work that everyone has worked as a team to make it. Yeah, um, And there's there's loads of little moments there that made me even think that he's talking about animation. Exactly. Uh, when they're building this plane, there's an emphasis on good work over fast work. And getting a good night's sleep and a good good meal. <laughs> yes. And uh, animation is notoriously draining and slow and it feels like he's he's almost showing his audiences this is what we're working towards. Like our final film is this plane. And he has this young woman Theo, who is uh, you know a she's a teenager, isn't she? She is a, is a wannabe mechanic, and she is certainly drawn from the same cloth as as the lead character from Whisper of the Heart. Or you'll see from the, the Kiki from Kiki's Lyric Service as well. This um, she has her craft that mm. she wants to develop, and and then and then excel in. And it is a craft that requires patience, it requires late nights, it requires a lot of investment and expertise, as well as a spark of inspiration. There's something interesting I read in Toshio Suzuki's memoir that I've not actually been able to figure out fully. He says that uh, this film was being made at the same time as Only Yesterday. It overlapped with Takahata's film Only Yesterday, so most of the animation staff at Ghibli were hard at work on that film. So Miyazaki found himself 
you know, without the staff to make a movie. And Suzuki said that Miyazaki did something interesting. He hired in all of the key roles in the team female animators, which is unlikely for Japanese animation at the time, which is a huge thing, and it, re- re- it reflects in the film mm. how all the men are elsewhere in, I think it's meant to be Milan or Turin, it depends which translation you're looking at, but the Piccolo workshop is manned by women. Yeah, And that's just, that plane building sequence is just one of so many fantastic moments. Um, and there's some brilliant lines in the film as yeah. well. I think it's his most quotable film. Uh, as I was watching it, I was doing so many screenshots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's one bit, what is it? better to be a pig than a fascist. Well, if we're going to have our Giffio tech spotlight, that is what this film has become known as. There are two, there's that moment and also Boccaroso giving, giving the thumbs up. Mm-hmm. But rather being a pig than a fascist is particularly been quoted i think it's his best screenplay in terms of the texture the world building but then also single lines we also uh, what which ones have we passed between us uh, you know we've mentioned you don't do good work on no sleep you know is that byron no it's me it's so pithy and sparky yeah. um well and i think that that those great lines uh lead it to a, I, I don't know whether this is really uh something that we should delve too far into but is this the only one with a tagline like when you look at the blu-rays this is the only film i'm sure that has something underneath it and it's the brilliant line a pig's got to fly <laughs> it is a great tagline it is it is true I don't, I don't know if maybe in japan they don't have a, a tradition of taglines or maybe it's something that in translation is lost but yeah i do wonder if um any other ghibli films could benefit from taglines maybe oh, i mean thinking of last week's episode on pompoko you could just steal the one from dodgeball Grab life by the balls. I mean, we should probably get in contact with Ghibli and pitch that to them for future releases of Pompoko, certainly. But then, this is something that's interesting, Jake. We talked about the sense of fun, adventure, how upbeat this film is, but it does have this tapestry where he's clearly responding to the political climate of the time and reflected in 1920s, the the period of the film as well. The sense that Porco Rosso wants his freedom, but then there's this encroaching sense of fascism within his country. Um, But then also there's the identity of the character himself, Mm. reflecting, as we've seen in Howl, as we've seen in Spirited Away in Princess Mononoke, the sense of the self within the political climate. How do you define yourself amongst a murky landscape? Of course, with him, he has this sense of he is... He is visibly a pig, and there's this curse. We don't really know what that is until halfway, three-quarters way through the film. Even then, it's just conjecture why he's like that. But there's some sense of the internal landscape, the emotional landscape, who you are and how you want to present yourself to the world affecting the character. Mm. That's a big Miyazaki trademark, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it lands... Uh, that, that notion of his lands the best in this film. Mm. I think uh, the ending of the film suggests that the curse on him has been lifted through his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see his face. Mm. We don't see what the actual Porco Rosso looks like. And I love that because it's not for us to know. Mm-hmm. It's for him to know. And if the journey that we're going on is more about his identity, then his acceptance is enough of a reward for us as an audience member. And it made me think maybe there's something a bit vain in seeing how in in how the transformation and the almost old Disney princess way of turning into a beautiful creature at the end, um, and same in Spirited Away or something. Um, but I, it just 
maybe I'd have to rewatch those films again and see what I think. But I, I just really, really love that we don't see mm-hmm. him. But it's such a meaningful transformation. If you think about, we've spoken in the past about two other movies that have transformations in their final few moments. Spirited Away with the, with the parents turning from pigs back into humans or Howl's with Turnip Head turning into the prince. Those both feel tacked on to the end of a film that's not concerned with plot. Whereas Porco Rosso has that laser focus all the way through, where everything's meaningful. Everything has that depth and texture and feel to it. Um, and it's, I find this film such a satisfying one. And I wonder, you haven't actually seen a film like this by Miyazaki or Ghibli yet. Earlier on in his career, Miyazaki was known for these sweeping adventures. And I wonder, is this, was this satisfying for you, Jake? Yes, I, I yeah. found this an immensely satisfying mm-hmm. film. I think that's maybe because of the tighter runtime as well. It feels like, to me, it's filling every moment. It doesn't drag at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I would almost say it's flawless. I really think this is fantastic work. Uh, there is a moment where we are shown how the curse befell Porco, oh, um, yeah, yeah. where he he travels above the line of clouds, and you see this aeroplane heaven, and uh, that was properly gobsmacking. That was my only yesterday wide-eyed red face look. Uh, I. It's one of those moments that I wish I could see in the cinema. Mm-hmm. I was completely blown away by it. I think it's a remarkable piece of work because it doesn't feel like it's reaching for these enormous ideas all the time, which is something Maizaki does get bogged down in. Uh, as you say, laser-focused. I think it knows exactly what it needs to be. And it can flex as well. It has these big ideas, has moments of poignancy, but then it can come straight back to the lowest, and some would say, forms of filmmaking, storytelling, slapstick. Yeah. You know, there's a fit, ends with fisticuffs in. <laughs> yeah, there's real physical physical comedy yeah. throughout. It's it's so well done, and and I think that again surprises me about the the lack of international coverage on it because it's it's quite a simple story and it's really accessible just through as you said the physical movement of mm-hmm. it. Well, Jake, I'm so, so glad you enjoyed this film and I've had so much fun talking about it with you. Yeah, and now I'm going to do the terrible thing and make you rate it against all the others. Poor Porco. So I'm sure I'm going to have to stop listing what order the films in Michael Leader's leaderboard appear, but currently as it stands, we've got eight films in there sitting at the very bottom, Hal's Moving Castle. And above there, we've got Pompoko, Only Yesterday, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, and Grave of the Fireflies, My Neighbor Totoro, and surely never moving, Whisper of the Heart at number one. The unshakable. Where where are we going to put Porco Rosso? Yeah, I do wonder if we should start introducing tiers. Maybe our listeners could suggest Mm. uh, in the future if we're going to have God tier, etc. Totoro tier, etc. I think, so Porco Rosso is a film I really do love. Revisiting it this time in particular, there's so much that I love about it. And as we say, it does so much in so little time. It's so laser focused. And this may seem like a bad kind of comment, but I think this is going to be fifth in the leaderboard. It's above Spirited Away, just below Princess Mononoke. But this is, if we were going to have this top tier, it's mm. definitely comfortably in there. Wow. Top tier. Premier top League. Top tier Ghibli. EPL Premier yeah. League. 
Brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would probably, as you know, Mononaki didn't quite work for me, so it would take a jump up there. It's almost podium for me. Uh, almost podium, almost really? Almost podium, yeah. Uh, this is a real treasure. Love it. Yeah. Mm. And that's it. We hope you've enjoyed your time in the Ghibliotech. Next week, oh, it's a special episode. Uh, earlier Ooh. this month, we uh, recorded live at the BFI. It's uh, The Red Turtle, mm. a film that was co-produced by Studio Ghibli, directed by Michael Dudokter Witt, actually animated entirely in France. But it has the Ghibli logo yeah. up front. And I mentioned I wish I'd seen Porco Rosso in the cinema. The Red Turtle. I actually did. It's the only one. Turtle Rosso, following yeah. Porco Rosso. We actually have Michael Dr. Witt, the director, talking with us on that episode. So please do tune in. Yeah. And finally, it's a humongous thanks to Silk Factory for helping to make this podcast. Uh, we're recording here in their studio in lovely Soho. But they don't just make podcasts. They're a full-blown film marketing creative agency. They also make trailers and content for TV, digital and social platforms. Yeah. And we are very thankful for all their hard work. And you can find out a bit more about them at thesilkfactory.co. So that wraps things up. Until then, you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. And you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. We record at Silk Factory. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Mo, And Steph Watts helps us out with all of our GIFs, images, and anything else we post online. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. That's me. I do the voiceover for the credits as well. This week we have a sort of good news, bad news trivia nugget. To begin with, the bad news. There was originally going to be a Porco Rosso sequel. For many years, Miyazaki was talking about it. We have a quote from... Uh, 2010, when they were first winding down production at Ghibli, they were going to make Porco Rosso the last sortie, which was going to be set in the Spanish Civil War. And Miyazaki speaks of Hiramasu Gonobayashi, who directed when Marnie was there in Arietti, was going to direct that. Unfortunately, that never came to pass, and Yonobayashi is now off making his own films, like Mary and the Witch's Flower. So maybe we'll never see it. Miyazaki did say they had all of the materials together, and it should be easy to make get off the ground wouldn't that be incredible well might never see that but one other nugget uh, Poco Rosso's real name in the film is Marco Pogo which is a reference to an Italian writer who worked with Miyazaki on the TV series Sherlock Hound Marco was the son of Nino Pogo um, who with his brother Tony pioneered feature length animation in Italy with the 1949 film The Dynamite Brothers Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.